and you're listening to Square One, a podcast where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and executives at the cutting edge of business. And I'm your host, Ramin Shah. Checkout is one of the oldest and most painful elements of a purchase process. If you're buying something other than on Amazon, chances are you have to re-log in. There's significant conversion drop-off for businesses when this happens, and a subpar experience for consumers. Fast is here to fix that. Fast wants to be the intermediary for all consumer interaction. In simple terms, Fast wants to provide consumers with a one-click login, one-click payment, and one-click data collection. This week, I chatted with Allison Barr Allen, co-founder and COO of Fast. Fast raised $3 million last November and followed up with an aggressive $20 million raise just four months later, and for good reason. Today, Fast's product is login, but at scale, Fast can solve the problem of siloed identity on the internet and be the central repository for all identity management. This conversation was a ton of fun, and I learned a lot from Allison. Allison, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Allison, excited to have you on the show today and and dive into Fast and how you guys are building a universal passport for the internet. Also interested in discussing lessons from growing a hyperscale business. You know, both from your your Uber days and, and some of your early days here at Fast, and how you think about you know founder angels and the future of the seed check. You run a small angel fund as well, so let's kick off you know with your background. Tell us about joining Uber in the early days and and how it led you to Fast. Sure. So I joined Uber in Chicago a little over five years ago. Before that, I was doing consulting at PwC, where I was working for large health insurance companies. And what happened was my brother was two years younger than me, and he was a self-taught front-end developer and was working for startups. Um, And I thought what he was doing was far more fun than what I was doing, uh, traveling to Connecticut every week and wearing business casual. Um, So I I set out to join a startup and looked at lots of different companies, but Uber was scaling very rapidly at the time um, all over the world. And I was lucky enough to join our driver operations team in Chicago. Uh, so we had a team of eight people that helped manage uh, the, the, all the drivers in the Chicago area. And it was an incredible experience because Uber was a very decentralized uh, company at the time. And we had a GM for Chicago. And then we really managed a lot of the operations ourselves uh, within the city team. So I had very broad exposure to all types of areas of the business. The main things I focused on were marketplace planning and driver incentives, uh, fraud, driver support, driver communications, special events. I did some fun projects like launching Uber for Champaign, Illinois. Um, I helped manage our on-demand ice cream campaign. So tons of exposure to all areas of the business. Uh, and what I realized at the time, what I realized through that experience and working very, very closely with, with drivers, uh, was that payments was the most important part of this entire ecosystem for the drivers. So if there was a problem with their payment, it was very catastrophic for them. And they really wanted to understand why they were getting paid a certain amount and, um, how they could get paid as quickly as possible. So I ended up moving to San Francisco uh, about four years ago to work on a team that we have at Uber called Product Operations, where we embedded ops people within product teams. And I was on the the team that helped manage driver payments globally. So the first thing I did was help manage driver payments. And I think we were in 473 cities at the time and helping manage the weekly payout. And 
the two main areas that product operations worked on was one strategy and planning. So <clears throat> we would take all of the insights from ops people globally and help the product teams decide what we were going to build uh, during each quarter or each half. And then the other area we worked on was product scaling and rollouts. So the first major project I uh, product I rolled out was our instant payment product and our driver debit card. So Uber went from paying drivers once a week to enabling a 24-7 on-demand payment product, which was a very incredible experience for me. Uh, the product is still one of the top three favorite products for drivers. Um, and it really showed me what product market fit was like because drivers totally love this product. Uh, and it really changes what Uber means to them. And they can't really live without it. And so you, so you picked up you know, a, a, a pretty deep and, and instrumental experience in how payments, a, a pretty nuanced part of the process and something that's relatively behind the scenes, you know, is, is super compelling and important to making Uber work. You, you went from, you know, uh, on the side, and I'll kind of set the context on the side, you know, you're also actively mm-hmm. angel investing and you're, you're, you know, you're looking at companies. And you actually, you went from evaluating Fast as a potential investment you know, to joining the team uh, as COO. So give, give us the brief on what FAST is and why you were so compelled to join the team. Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, I had talked to some venture capitalists and ended up writing an investment thesis called Frictionless Finance. And a lot of it was based on my experience at Uber and really learning what impact this very simple payment product um, can have on on the business and the consumer experience. So the product seems very simple, but actually there's a lot of complexity and systems involved to making 24-7 payments happen. Um, but what I realized was there was a lot of other areas in businesses where I thought there was a lot of potential to improve um, how people pay for things and, and how they buy things. Um, so I would originally thought that I was going to go into venture capital after Uber. Uh, so I spent a lot of time talking to investors, talking to different startups, And through that experience, I started angel investing. So in February of last year, I made my first angel investment in a company called Air Garage, which does, it's an on, it's a parking marketplace where they uh, help churches and Hillel's and other private uh, organizations or businesses uh, monetize their parking, parking lots. And uh, after I invested, the Founders Fund and Floodgate invested in the company a couple months later. So that was really exciting. And then I ended up doing a few more investments last summer. Um, and I ended up connecting with Dom because he was basically building a lot of what I'd written about in this investment thesis. So he was building one-click login and checkout. And I met with him in August of this year to discuss a potential angel investment. Um, at the time, he had come over from Australia and had been in the States a couple months and had just started talking to investors. I think he'd only talked to a couple firms. Um, but the moment we met, I was really convinced it was going to be something pretty big. And uh, he was solving a lot of the pain points that I had identified through my thesis and just thinking about payments and friction in the space. Uh, so I ended up connecting Dom with Jan Hammer, who is a, a partner at Index Ventures. And then Jan ended up leading the pre-seed round for fast. And then after that, Dom convinced me to uh, join the company full-time. And so give us the brief on what fast is. Yes. So fast is a one-click login and checkout product. Um, Our goal is to make it 
as frictionless as possible to buy things and engage with different businesses on the internet. Um, this is a really exciting problem for lots of reasons, but one is that we're addressing a pain point that impacts almost every business and customer who uses the internet. Um, so every time you want to engage with a business online, you have to create an account and you have to pay somehow. And right now there's products that have either focused exclusively on the, the login part of the problem. So you have login with Google, you have login with Facebook, um, and then you have a lot of companies that have focused on the payments part. So you have PayPal, you have uh, Chrome Autofill um, and things like that. But there's really no company that's combined login and payments into one, which is really what you need to do to reduce a lot of this friction. Um, and it, yeah, another thing is it impacts businesses of all sizes. So Dom and I have talked to the very small startups who are just getting off the ground and trying to figure out how they want to build for this problem to some of the largest retailers in the world who still have problems with checkout and conversion um, and will do whatever it takes to sort of increase these metrics. Um, so that's really exciting that we're, we're in an industry that impacts businesses of all size. And then the other thing is it's industry agnostic. So to start, we'll be focused on e-commerce, which in and of itself is a $3.5 trillion market. Um, but we think that's just sort of the entry point and that it impacts all other types of businesses on the internet as well. So um, beyond using it at, at common retail sites, our goal is to uh, use fast uh, media companies. So think of all the newspapers that want you to get a subscription um, and we're also excited about other industries such as healthcare, which we think also has pretty broken payments experiences. And then the, the third part is that we are very consumer focused. So our goal is to make it as easy as possible for customers to engage with businesses online. And uh, we don't want to do anything that will break consumer trust. So we want to use data not to sell directly to advertisers um, and break you do anything that might break trust with consumers, but we use, want to use it to create better consumer experiences. So think about how you can have more personalized consumer experiences online um, or discovery experiences are things that we're really excited about. And so scaling the solution is, is not trivial, right? I think, I think the interesting mm -hmm. thing about the idea is you, you hear it, you kind of, it makes complete sense. You get it. But obviously yeah. building, building the product and scaling the business is, is non-trivial. You know, it's, it's of course, fitting that your background is from Uber specifically in this, in, in this space, um, because Uber is one of the most superficially seamless applications that has incredible complexity, you know, behind the scenes. So what's been the biggest challenge, you know, in the early days of, of building the product and, and specifically from, you know, both from a technical perspective and, and from a privacy and security perspective. And then a second question as an add on to that is, you, know, you wrote this kind of thesis on frictionless finance. What are just at a, at a layman's level, what are some of the non-obvious components of a friction in payments? Sure. So the first question around challenges of building the business, um, I would say we're, we're pretty lucky in that we can sort of build on behalf of all the companies that have over the past decade um, built a, a lot of products on the back end of payments. So Payments is an incredibly localized business uh, when you get pretty deep. So every country has their sort of own payment mechanisms to use. And even at Uber, we would do a lot of custom payments integrations in a lot of different countries. Um, but because of 
companies like Stripe, who have been doing these integrations for years and years, uh, they enable us to have a platform to build on top of where we can really create the front end experience with consumers. And we don't have to worry as much about the actual integrations or payments licensing or things like that. Um, so that, that's really lucky. Um, what we're very, very focused on right now is team. Uh, so execution is just so important in, in this field um, and being able uh, to build the, the best possible product. Um, so Dom and I focus most of our time on talking to potential recruits um, and people who've built multi-billion dollar companies before so that we can have the very best people around us. So yeah, th- those are some of the main things we're focused on. And then in regards to friction, um, I think... The main parts of my thesis, actually, the first sentence says frictionless finance means that a payment or a good is seamless to make with as few steps as possible. Um, so that's really around the checkout flows. And then the second part is along B2B. So I think there's more companies popping up in the B2B payment space, but a lot of the things that we're excited about with fast on the consumer side also impact uh, B2B. So how can we make it easier for uh, businesses to pay other businesses and to also to collect money and um, manage their, their company's finances? And then the third part is about stress. So I think stress around payments and money management is definitely an underrated um, factor in, in thinking about payments. So uh, growing up, I... Um, I'm from a very middle-class family in Ohio. Um, my Most people in my family were teachers, and uh, my dad owned his own restaurant. Um, so they weren't really as much on the, the business side or um, more corporate jobs. Um, and I've seen through my family and also a lot of friends and through working with so many people, at so many drivers at Uber, the impact that financial stress can have on people's lives. Um, so I'm just very passionate about thinking about anything we can do to help reduce financial stress um, for people. Because if you look at a lot of the data, it's, it's one of the biggest factors. Money is one of the biggest factors that people are stressed about. Um, so yeah, and then uh, the other parts of the thesis were around creating strong brand value, um, anything that we can do to reduce or to reduce payment fees. So in the US, the standard payment fees are around 3%. Um, and I was, I've always been very fascinated by payments innovation that's been going on in Southeast Asia and China, um, in regards to what unlocking some of this friction can do for new business models and types of payments. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting perspective, especially the way you had alluded to it earlier of, you know, kind of the payments piece being one aspect of the cycle and then authentication, uh, being another piece of the of the cycle and and not having a company that ties them both together, you know, Facebook and Google, of mm-hmm. course, have user authentication at scale. Um, there's a whole flurry of you know new B two B payments companies that are coming up, and and candidly, you know, very large B two B payments companies, especially that are um, that are merging and consolidating now specifically for the footprint. Why mm-hmm. why from your perspective, what's what's the what's the unique piece as to why? You know, none of those platforms, either, you know, historical technology platforms like a Facebook or a Google or, or on the other side, you know, your large scale payments providers like the world pays, uh, you know, Fiserv's for status, et cetera, of the world. They've got the distribution, you know, the technical scale is certainly a component of it. Uh, but why wouldn't one of those providers, you know, try to do this piece? Yeah, I think that it's really interesting. Um, 
our thesis for why none of the big payments companies have done it so far is around really seeing how the need to combine login with payments. Um, so we think that's one really big factor um, that they've just been focused on one area of the silo. Um, secondly, I just think people have sort of undervalued the impact of a lot of these experiences um, and the impact that improving conversion can have on business, on the business value that improving conversion can have. Um, so when you see it now, it looks really obvious, but um, a lot of people weren't talking about these things before. And I just think the checkout screen and how we're thinking about connecting consumers across businesses has just been massively undervalued. Um, we, we talk through a lot of different experiences that people really have. And I think people have just gotten really too used to the status quo um, hmm. in regards to why some of these experiences are so bad. And that's why they use Amazon and why Amazon has just been able to take such incredible market shares because they have uh, this login and payments combined into one and people use Amazon because it's easy. Um, and I talk about Instagram all the time because I think it's a really incredible use case where you have these companies that are spending millions and millions of dollars on Instagram advertising and then you have your customer click on your Instagram ad and it takes you to a mobile web browser where you then need them to create an account and also enter their payment information from their phone. <laughs> and a lot of people, they just look at that screen and they're like, yeah, this might be interesting, but I'm not going to go through the hassle of doing this. Um, so I think even if we can improve conversion at these little steps and in these little nuances, just slightly, um, there can be a lot of incredible businesses with even new types of business models on top of it. Um, why I don't think the big players have, have done this so far. Um, we talk about being platform agnostic a lot. So most of these big players also may have a pretty good solution within their ecosystem or platform. So Apple pay works pretty well on Apple devices. Um, Google pay will work pretty well on Google devices. And there's other examples, Shopify pay on Shopify sites. Um, but there's really not one that's platform agnostic across all of these ecosystems. And then, one other thing is just focus. So hmm. for big companies, um, they have a lot of things going on. Um, and this isn't, this may be something they add on over time, but it's, it's not really their core focus. And at fast, our core focus is going to be, um, optimizing payments and checkout for, for businesses. And it's just incredible when you think about it right now, every single company has to do these like enhancements, um, themselves. And there's just a lot of wasted value that's, done because every single company is replicating the same exact thing and it's not being optimized um across a network of businesses yeah i like i like that framing because when you when you think of the larger companies right it's there's a list of 50 odd initiatives and i mean this is classic innovators dilemma right this is why companies <laughs> yep. continue to climb you know up the up the mountaintop and kind of leave that bottom uh open and vulnerable for new companies to come in you know when you when you think about entering into the space and obviously making an impact um, it requires a fantastic team. You alluded to that earlier and, and kind of mm -hmm. fantastic uh, operational prowess and, and scaling. You've One of the things you've said on Twitter, which I found interesting and wanted to get your take on live was, you know, you said on Twitter that you're seeking to build the first company publicly on Twitter. Um, and I found that really interesting from the perspective of you guys have shared, um, you know, you, I think you shared something to the tune a couple of weeks ago, of, you know, how you're getting a lot more uh, male candidates, you know, sending in notes or, you know, folks mm -hmm. that are, uh, you know, want to invest in the business and you are encouraging, you know, more female candidates. 
what what is building a company publicly on Twitter? You know, what is what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think to build a really big company, you just need to have a really big community of supporters around you. Um, and I think, especially with so much technology, mindshare is incredibly important. Um, and this is the whole goal of marketing teams. It's to, to make people recognize your brand and to think about you um, when they have a problem. And um, why this why this problem is so exciting to Dom and I and everyone else is that it impacts every consumer and business. So everyone we talk to about Fast understands exactly what we're doing. And especially today, I just find that's incredibly rare. Um, and people have so many different options about what companies they work at. So the main goal for us is definitely recruiting, especially at this early stage where we want people who are excited about this problem and who are ready to build a really big company with us. Um, so the more that we can share and get people excited, I think we're able to attract people who, um, are aligned with our values very early on. Um, and we're able to get better candidates that way, um, and move a lot faster. Uh, second, I think there's, Twitter is really awesome in that it's an incredibly <laughs> authentic voice. Um, and most people run their own Twitter accounts. It's not going through some, normally it's not going through a corporate communications person. Um, it's not sort of masked in the, the voice of the business as opposed to the voice of the people. Um, and I think we're able to, to bring a really authentic voice to what we're actually doing and show that there's actually people behind what we're building. You, you, no, I think it's I think it's incredibly important. You, I mean, the I, I like the way that you framed it, which is you know the goal of marketing teams is to build community. You know, obviously generate leads, brand awareness, etc. Um, mm. And Twitter's a fantastic platform for it. And and some of the pieces that you know you guys have thrown in, you know, uh, like Dom writing his CEO updates, and we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the initiatives you guys have done have actually been pretty unique and pretty interesting in the area, especially as such an early stage company. You know, one of the ones that I found to be pretty interesting, um, that I haven't really seen from other early stage companies, you, you see much further along when you're at scale is creating videos of all your employees as they join fast. Right. Um, so clearly, you know, mm-hmm. some, uh, recruiting perspective that's in there, clearly some authentic voice perspective that's in there. Talk about you know that initiative a little bit more and just how you guys thought through that as as well as the decision calculus of you know in being such an early stage company where you've got limited bandwidth and resources you know why you felt that was so important to do. Yeah, uh, that's been definitely a unique thing that we've done so far. A lot of that was was due to Dom and his idea to bring on a we have a full time videographer who's working on photography and videos for us. Hmm. Um, but for us, a lot of times uh, if you in recruiting, a lot of the d- different ways to recruit are one is to have recruiting firms and they generally take a percentage of uh, people's compensation for the first year or so. Um, and those fees can definitely add up. So we're able to see a much uh, different ROI on some of the output um, of the videos if we're even able to get a few leads through um, the videos or, or other advertising that we're doing ourselves around recruiting. Um, also, I think it's it's been really efficient in that similar to Twitter, it's like the videos are coming directly from us. And even if you work with a recruiter or outside people, a lot of times um, it might be three chains away. Uh, so then you have a recruitment team trying to pitch fast to the candidates before talking to us. Um, and I think 
some of the the nuanced gets lost there. So we're just able to be much more efficient about our recruiting and attract the right people who um, are aligned with our values and, and the voice that we're bringing and the product that we're building. And is that how you guys have thought about, you know, kind of Dom's CEO updates? You know, what, what have you, what have you guys hoped to achieve, you know, from those as the business continues to grow? Yeah, I think the CEO updates are along the same lines. It's that to build a really big business. I think you need a lot of people to know about it and to be bought into what we're doing. And that's one reason I don't um, fully align with how some people build businesses in stealth. Um, I think to build a really big business, you, you need a lot of customers. Um, and it's hard for people to know about you and to use your products if, if you're stealth and hidden. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a different approach, but so far it's worked really well for us. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's go back to kind of the roots of how you had found fast, right? So you mentioned a little bit earlier mm-hmm. in the conversation that you started, you wrote your first angel check, uh, you know, last year. Um, you've, you've kind of turned that into a small, uh, you know, fund. And I've had a lot of founders come on the show, you know, that are certainly actively angel investing, but I've started to see, you know, a little bit more of this, um, you know, kind of thematic sense of, of operating a fund while you're operating, you know, a high growth startup come to bear. I had, uh, you know, Rahul Vora from Superhuman on, you know, a couple episodes ago and, you know, obviously him and his team are building an incredibly high growth company, um, that's already reached, you know, a certain set of scale. Uh, but recently he announced that he started a small fund, right? So how, how have you approached, you know, being an angel, right? Specifically as an operator. Um, and more interestingly, how have you, how have you kind of balanced your focus and your time on you know, obviously growing and scaling fast, um, which is an incredibly intensive exercise, but also, you know, finding founders, interacting with founders, really doing kind of the investment piece the right way, which is also mm-hmm. an incredibly taxing exercise. Yeah, I think it's sort of changed over time. So when I was planning to go into venture capital, a lot of the angel, my angel investing um, was to, to really learn, um, yep. put my own capital to use so that I could build a track record and um, really understand exactly what it's like to, to put money into a business and follow along their progress. Um, so at that time, I was doing quite a bit of outbound sourcing, um, spending a lot of time looking up different companies. Um, I learned so much through that process and um, just really learning how VCs think about businesses, how they evaluate them. Um, I've been able to develop an incredible network of people that I now share deals with um, and can learn from. I think now that I'm at Fast full time, um, Fast is definitely um, will be 110% of my energy. Um, But I still think it's um, important to be involved in the angel investing market and understand what's going on there. Um, so I'll be doing a little bit less outbound and, um, more just reactive inbound or opportunistic investing. Um, but I think it's really good to be able to keep a pulse on what people are interested in and what they're looking at, um, and what companies are sort of popping up in different spaces, um, so that you, you understand, uh, what people are thinking about. Because if you're, if you're only in investing or only in operating, um, I think sometimes you can get a little bit pigeonholed about what's going on in the outside world. So, it gives me um, really good perspective. Um, and also I meet a lot of people through angel investing and in the investment community in general that um, can help with fast and, and maybe interested in fast um, in some way, either through partnership or investment. So 
um, I think it's it's beneficial both from a learning perspective um, and from an operational perspective. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's actually exactly what I do in kind of my, my day-to-day in running an organization, but also angel investing on the side. I think a lot of the pulls and the tie-ins of evaluating different business models, you know, talking to different leaders of organizations that have different strengths is, is incredibly compelling, you know, obviously from picking and choosing companies to invest in, but also you know, taking a lot of that outsource R&D candidly, you know, and, and applying mm-hmm. it into your own yeah. business, right? Um, you, you know, you're involved in something that I think is super cool that's recently launched. And, and I think it has a lot of the flares of what you were just talking about, but I'd love for you to, you know, talk about it a little bit more, um, operator Mm -hmm. collective, right. Um, I'd love for you to kind of talk about how that came together and your, your involvement. And if you have a perspective on kind of the macro piece of it as well, I think that would be interesting. And when I say macro piece of it, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm seeing a lot more operators really kind of driving, you know, the pre-seed and seed stage for investing. You know, part of that is the amount of capital that's available um, in, in the market today. But I think there's also, there's a nuance there, which is more compelling and interesting, which is it's not just the abundance of capital, but it's, it's kind of the insight, the experience and the connectivity that you have as an operator, um, you know, versus an institutional, institutional VC. It also speaks a little bit, I think, to the incentive effects. So t- talk a little bit more about Operator Collective as well as kind of, do you see, you know, more and more of, those types of organizations, uh, you know, coming up to fill that seed and pre-seed gap? Yeah, sure. Um, so Operator Collective is a venture fund that was started by Malin Yen, um, who previously one of, was one of the co-founders of Saster. And before that, she was at Cisco for a long time. Um, I met Malin last summer through um, a mutual friend, Dan Scheinemann, who was one of the first checks into Zoom, um, a company that I'm a huge fan of. Um, but Malin is just an incredible community builder um, and person. Um, so she had an idea to create an adventure fund with a lot of her friends um, in her community who happened to be executives at some of the fastest growing and most prolific B2B companies in uh, mostly the Bay Area, but all over. Um, and uh, she found that not as many women were investing as men. So Um, instead of trying to get all the women to become angel investors on their own, um, her idea was to get them all to collectively unite and sort of have a venture fund together. Um, So she's been able to recruit 100 plus LPs um, who are mostly women who are operators at um, really awesome companies um, to give them an outlet to invest in startups directly um, to be involved in the, the investment process and learn about how investors make decisions um, and then also to advise companies in the portfolio. Um, so it's awesome for me to be involved in that community. And Valen has been able to already connect us at Fast with a lot of, she's not an investor in Fast, um, but she has been able to collect, connect us with a lot of uh, really awesome people in her network that are just um, great operators. Um, so I hope through that it enables more women to understand what angel investing is like. Um, and get more involved in the investment process because I think it's just something that as a generally I do pre-seed angel investing which is pretty early and there's really not a lot of women in this sort of ecosystem there's a few um, but not as many as I would like and I think um, the more women we can get on the cap table um, the better absolutely I I think that the so many solutions to kind of diversity in tech start with 
getting more women, people of color, et cetera, on the cap table, helping drive decisions, yep. driving financing, et cetera. So I, I couldn't agree with that more. You know, Allison, as we, as we round out the conversation, I, I want to ask you, um, you know, kind of a framing of the, the Peter Thiel question, right? Uh, and specifically mm-hmm. as it relates to what you guys are building at FAST, which is, you know, what's one truth that you believe in about, you know, FAST and the ecosystem, you know, that you're in and building that nobody else would agree with you on? Good question. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting is the e-commerce growth rate in the U.S. has been about 15% a year um, for the past multiple years. And I think with FAST and what we're hoping to build, we have the potential to actually accelerate the growth of e-commerce and sort of unlock a lot of capital that's um, not being utilized on the Internet right now. Allison, this has been, you know, a super interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to make the time. I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to watching, you know, you, Dom, and the team build, you know, fast from afar, and uh, and really having an impact on global payments. So, thanks again for joining us. Really enjoyed having you on today. Thank you so much for having me.